Welcome to the SOS Church Stockholm podcast. We are an international church in the heart of Stockholm that meets every Sunday at 12 p.m. at Drottninggatan 81. The celebration is in English with translation into Swedish, Farsi, and Spanish. Our vision is to be a church that is for all people and to all nations, living the Book of Acts kind of life in Stockholm and to the ends of the earth. We hope that this week's message will challenge and equip you to live a strong life together with Jesus. Can we give Jesus a big hand? Come on. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, We as a church, we will always send out teams going out on mission trips. Can everyone that was on this mission trip just stand up for a moment? Yes, come on. We can stand up. Can we give them a hand? We have some more missionaries that is not here right now. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We had an awesome time. And Sarah here, she was our team leader. She did awesome. She was leading the team so well. And for all of you that know Sarah and Ralph here, they also got engaged yesterday. It's, it's a wonderful way to end after a mission trip. Uh, congratulations. All right, we had such a good time, and before I start to preach, I just want to share some, some more stories of what, what Jesus did, and I, I hope I can inspire some of you to follow along on a trip in the future, because it's life-changing. I think this was maybe my 15th trip uh, with SOS on, on, on a festival, but every time it's so refreshing, every time you learn so much and you see the power of God in a new way. And what was very special for many of us this trip was that we saw God using our kids. Uh, we were a couple of, of leaders from the church going and we all brought our families or brought the kids and, and it was a kids team down there that was now part of ministering, which was very special for us. And I remember one of the days and uh, we, we had some 15 kids in a team and I followed them out, out on an outreach. Yes, um, and we, we came to a school where it was hundreds and hundreds of kids and it's a miracle that all of them can sit still listening for so long. <laughs> it feels like it would never happen in Sweden. But it was hundreds of kids just sitting, listening, paying attention. And we were so proud of our kids. They were dancing and performing some things for them. Uh, but then in the end, they were part of praying for those kids that were sick. And I remember I took Caleb and Tia, that are seven and six years old, and we were praying for some kids that someone with headache and that disappeared, and someone with stomachache that got well. But then this girl came up. She was maybe, I, I, I don't know, a year or two years older than our kids. And, and she said that she had a so bad sight. She could hardly see. And I was testing her out. I was standing maybe one and a half meter away from her. And I was holding up my fingers like that. And I said, how many fingers do you see? And she said, uh, I think two. I was like, okay, how, how many fingers? She always said the wrong thing. I was trying so many times, but she always said too few. And I think her sight was so blurry that they kind of just blended in. So we prayed for her together with the kids, and, and nothing happened. We tested it again, nothing happened. And we tested, we, we prayed again, nothing really happened. We, we prayed three times, and we tested her many times after. She could still not see properly. And I was like, all right, okay, it's, it's over. But Elias, she, she said, no, let's pray one more time. It's always good to have a friend that says, come on, let's pray one more time. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's do it. So, so we prayed for her one more time. And this time when we tested, she could see. And we were, was, yes, can we praise God for that? 
I was, I was standing maybe four times as far away and she could always see how many fingers she could, she could read from the t-shirts. Uh, she could see and for us it was so big because we have experienced this before but to have our kids praying and seeing that God did a miracle and they were like wow it works. So for us that was so special having the kids seeing that and some of our kids got baptized in the Holy Spirit and met God in, 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 in new ways which was very special for us. Uh, I, I also had another guy we can take the next picture here um, a guy named uh, Alexis. I met him on the field. I, I was standing on the field and as Johannes was praying from the stage, he was so moved by God and he was being set free from demon power and, and God moved upon him. And I later got to know that Sarah here had met him out on the street and had invited him for the night. And he told me that one of the most craziest stories I've heard. <laughs> and, and, and we have it on a film clip here as well. So just watch this film clip. I was standing here with Alex Kassani, he's in Maasai, and something happened three years ago, we was together with a woman from Somalia, and she wanted to take him into Illuminati, uh, but when he was running away from her, she put the curse on him, and for three years, he hadn't been able to drink water at all, if he tried to drink water, he'd be seeing metal in front of his eyes, and he'd be very dizzy, so he couldn't drink water, just eat a little bit. But today, when Jonas was praying from the stage, and he was being set free. He was coming into the freedom tent here. He was being set free from this curse. He started speaking new tongues. He was baptizing the Holy Spirit. And he was having a lot of ache in his heartache. He was going to India in just a few weeks to make a heart surgery. But he was healed today. And now he has also been able to drink water for the first time in three years. Can you try to drink some water, Alex? How do you feel, Alex? You feel good? That's good, thank you so much. <laughs> he was really drinking water. If he couldn't hear, he couldn't drink water for three years. Craziest thing I heard. He could just eat. He was, had so much pain in the throat. I was like, of course. Uh, but, but he was being set free. He, he had been under a curse. Uh, and, and he was set free that night. All of that happened. You know, every time I go to Africa, the spiritual realm gets so real. Uh, because you see people being set free from evil spirits. Sometimes when we are in Stockholm, Sweden, it's almost like you think that spirit, the spiritual realm doesn't exist and everything is just psychological and physical. But once you come down to a place like this and you start to preach about Jesus and praying for people, the spiritual realm is so real and there are so many people that are being set free from evil spirits. And I thought coming back, we just need to speak a little bit about it because we can sometimes be blinded back home thinking that there is not a spiritual realm that is actually affecting us because we don't see it played out in the same way and just because we doesn't see it played out in the same way doesn't mean that it doesn't exist it's just functioning sometimes in different ways and it will affect you in different ways so I wanted us to speak a little bit about it this Sunday because the temptation yeah, oh, come on we always, 
Come on, come on. Um, when, when, um, when, when you speak with people in Sweden, sometimes you hear them say, yeah, it's, I'm just struggling. It's just me and my demons. I've, I've been hearing people saying that. And they don't, they don't really mean like evil spirits affecting me. It's just me and my issues. But, but in fact, many times it's actually evil spirits affecting people. Uh, but me and my demons doesn't need, need to be your demons. <laughs> uh, it might be your demons if you're under influence from them. But you can also be set free from the influence of evil spirits. So it's no longer your demons. You're being free from those demons. And I want to speak about being free from demon power. Once, once we were down there and we were helping people to freedom, sometimes the evil spirits speak out different things. And as my wife was helping a girl to, to freedom, the spirit in her started to speak. And she said that, uh, this, or this, this evil spirit said that, I'm, I'm the spirit, <laughs> spirit of the serpent of the water. And I am here in Likoni, which is the area in Mombasa, to destroy the churches, which I had done for a long time. So it was an evil spirit that tried to destroy the churches of that area. And, and if that's happening in Mombasa, it's happening in Stockholm. There are spirits that try to deceive and destroy whatever God wants to do in your life, in our city, and in our church. And, 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 and the devil is, you know, he's deceptive. He even tried to have us think that he doesn't exist. But in fact, he's affecting more than we sometimes admit. All right. Uh, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Bible says that we are like a temple or like a house. And once the Holy Spirit, God himself, is moving into you, no evil spirit can live inside of you because he doesn't share room. The Holy Spirit don't share room with an evil spirit. But before you belong to Jesus Christ, you can actually have a spirit that is affecting you, living inside of you, and what the Bible says, possessing you. But when you get saved, that spirit has to leave, and the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you. So as a believer, you can be confident that you just have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But what the evil spirit tried to do with the believers is that he tried to find a foothold. He tried to find a window or a door that is open in your life so that he can affect you. I, I have a picture here from, from a, a hotel room. Billy and Hannah's hotel room, actually. No, not that one. <laughs> that one. Yeah. One, 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 one day, Billy was, I, I don't see him here, he was taking a rest on the bed, laying down, and all of a sudden he heard a noise in the room. And he was looking up, and he saw this monkey <laughs> was, was coming into the room, stealing some nuts and running away because they had the door or a window open. <laughs> and I think that sometimes as a believer, if we have a window or a door open, the devil, we want to try to sneak in and maybe not just stealing some nuts, but maybe he's trying to plant something. <laughs> he's planting something in your mind. He's planting a thought in your heart. He's, he's planting something that starts to grow in your life. The enemy tried to do that even in us as believers. That's why we need to be on our watch so that we are not deceived. But I don't think that the, the great temptation is the same in Stockholm as in Mombasa, Kenya. The temptation for the believers there is often maybe going to a witch doctor 
And, and then they will be affected by that. I don't think that the witch doctors of Stockholm is, is a big temptation. I think that one of the greatest temptations here is to fall into isolation and, and segregation. That you withdraw from other believers, that you become alone, that you isolate yourself. And I think often the way it happens, it happens through unforgiveness and bitterness. Satan wants to sow something into your life. He wants to sow a lie. And once you start to believe it and it starts to grow, you become bitter. You start to wrestle with unforgiveness. And you withdraw from the community of God. And then after a while you will find yourself isolated. And once you're isolated, you're an easy target. Are you with me? Jesus is building his church. And he said this in John 13 and 35. He said that, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how will the world know that, that we are disciples? When we love one another. So what does the enemy try to do? He tries to separate us. He tries to swan forgiveness and conflicts into the church. In Mark's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 25, Jesus says that if a house is divided against itself that house can not stand he tried to sow division into the house and into the family of God so what should we do about it how should we should we handle this temptation or this problem in 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 Stockholm I'm happy that we have the word of God that gives us instructions and already in Luke's gospel chapter 17 Jesus gives his disciples some very good instructions that are so helpful for us me and my wife were sitting on on, on some we had a couple of days vacation we were sitting on the balcony reading this chapter and it spoke to me in a new way and I, I want to just preach what I saw there on the balcony on on, on the vacation all right, it's written here that Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. All right, it's good to know that things that cause us to stumble are bound to come. It will come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of the little ones to stumble. So what does this tell us? Tells us Sometimes in the church you are coming in people that try to deceive people. That try to lead people away from Christ by will. They, they, that's their target. They're coming in to try to lead people away from Christ. And Jesus says that's, you know, it's... You, you are in trouble if you're doing that. So, so the church needs to be protected from such a people coming in trying to destroy. But it's not just, just a few people trying to destroy. I think that just with us living in community with one another, sometimes we will all do things that is making others to stumble. We will all put stumbling block for other people so we can, we, we, we can fall just because we're living in, in, in a close community. And, and, and I want to speak something out because if you think that coming to church, the church is a place with good people and Jesus said that we should love one another. So I will never be hurt. I will never be offended in church. We can take the next slide. I don't think that is an accurate expectation. 
If you think that I will never be offended, I will never be hurt, that's the wrong expectation. Why? Because we should love one another. And if we should love one another, we need to know one another. And if we should know one another, there's no way to know one another without any friction. Have you ever met a family that are, are never ever fighting? <laughs> have, have, have you seen siblings that are never ever having a conflict? My kids are having conflict every hour, I feel like. You know, like, it, it's just, they are so close that there is always friction. Have you seen a marriage with people, with, with a couple never ever disagreeing? If that is happening, it's for one reason, that they are hiding what they have in their heart. They're not honest. And eventually that marriage is probably going to have a lot of trouble because you've been hiding what you're carrying for so long. If we never have any friction, it means that it can be two different reasons. One of the reasons is that we're not close with one another. We don't really know each other or love each other. The other reason is that we're hiding what we have. Is, is either or. And in both cases, we need to work with it. The enemy tried to sow separation and division in the churches so that you would withdraw and keep yourself away from other believers. But we're not going to let that happen. And Jesus, he gives us some very helpful instructions in how we're dealing with it. Verse 3. We go down, we continue here. So watch yourself. That's how it starts. <laughs> Watch yourself. When you are hurt by someone, when you have a conflict with someone, number one, watch yourself. Watch the man or the woman in the mirror. And I tell you, the, the, the person I have the biggest problem with and most conflicts with and the most irritating person in this church, the member of this, it's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> you know, I have to correct myself every day. I'm like walking away from different conversations. I'm like, ah, why did I say that? I shouldn't speak like that. You know, I have to correct and watch myself all the time. Me and my biggest project in this church. I, I, I really need to work on myself because I'm not where I want to be. I'm far from where I want to be by, by now. So I need to start with working on myself. And guess what? You don't need to start with working on me. You need to start with working on you. You start with you. Just, just think about this. Every bad decision that you have ever made, it was you that made it. You cannot really blame anyone else. Every sin that you have ever done, it was not someone else, it was you. And you tricked yourself into thinking this is a good idea. Huh? And it was so bad that anyone could have told you. Every bad you know, stuff you have ever bought, you are selling it on yourself. So you are your biggest problem. That's why you need to start with you. Maybe this conflict has something to do with me. And if you've been checking out yourself and you're like, it has nothing to do with me. Uh, you know, before we take the Lord's communion, Paul says, if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, not to others, but to ourselves, we would not fall under judgment. So we start with ourselves. And then it says, if your brother or sister a sin against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And I think there's, there's three things here that, that I think is so helpful. And if we can get this right, I think it solves around 85% of all the problems in the church. We start with ourselves. 
then we speak with the one that hurt us. Not about them, but with them. And, and I think I'm preaching to all of us. We all need to hear this at times. I need to hear it because it's so much easier to speak about someone than with them. So if someone hurt you, if someone offends you, if someone said something that, that you know, is a stumbling block for you, Jesus says, speak with them. Check yourself and you speak with them. And if they repent, forgive them. All right? That's the, like, like a process. Yourself, speak with the person, and then forgive. If they say, oh, I'm, and, and most often you will hear them say, I had no idea that hurt you. I didn't know I'm so sorry. And then you're forgiving them. Are you with me? Well, right. And, and, and what I have realized many times is that, that people that are hurt, you keep it for yourself. I had a friend in, in my life group. He was part of my life group for many years. Coming to the church. He was a faithful member. And after a while, he stopped coming to church. And I asked him, why, why are you not coming? And I tried to have him come. And one, once he came, he came late and left early. And I sort of understand there was someone he don't want to meet in church. And I think, think it took two years before he told me what happened. Someone been telling him something that really hurt him. And I was like, have you spoken with him about it? Does he even know this? No, I'm never going to speak with it. You know, like he was so offended. And, and after a while, I could speak with that someone. You know, like I, I could mediate. And once they had that conversation, another person said, I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know I offended you. I don't even remember this conversation. And here the other man had been out of church for almost two years for something that the other member didn't remember. That is often the case. You know, when Jesus is hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23, he's, he's nailed on the cross and he's praying this prayer and saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they have been nailing him to the cross. And he's like, their eyes are blinded. They don't realize what they have done. And I think often the case when someone is hurting you, it's not because they're bad people. It's because there is a misunderstanding. It might be a cultural difference. It might be a personality difference. It might be, be that they had a bad day when it said it. But most often they, they didn't intend to hurt you. So if we just have a conversation, very often that can sort things out. Are you with me? So speak with one another if there is something. And, and, and I, I just learned a great strategy. If you want to stay out of gossip and you have people coming to you gossiping. I had a friend on a mission trip telling me what, what he, he's doing. He said that Dan, he often listens for a while and then says, Okay, thank you for telling me. Let's pray for them right now. So, so if someone comes and gossiping about someone else in the church, say, okay, let's pray for them now. And if they keep on doing it, pray long prayers for them. Okay, let's pray. Let's take an hour now interceding for them. And, and you know, that kind of like, they don't, they don't keep on bringing up the same stuff after a while. Because you're going to God with it. Or you say, thank you for telling me, let's go and speak with that person. I, I think I'm preaching for all of us. It, Jesus have a strategy for how we're handling conflict. Satan wants to divide us. He wants to separate us. But we need to do it the Jesus way. Luke's gospel chapter 17 and verse 4. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you, you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. Come on. Seven times a day. And they're like, oh, I repent again. I, I repent again. Jesus says, you must forgive them. It seems like forgiveness is not optional. 
as a believer, forgiveness is, is never optional. It's mandatory. It's a duty. And that is actually the title. I, I, I forgot to tell you the title is forgiveness is our duty. That's your obligation as a believer. Jesus says, you need to forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I, I think this is the only time all the apostles, they are in unity. You know, they have never been in unity before. But now they say, Lord, <laughs> help us. We can't do this. Increase. It's not when they speak about raising the dead or healing the sick or casting out evil spirits. It is when we should forgive one another that many times. Please, Jesus, we can't do this. Increase our faith and I think we all need an increased faith at times can you imagine a church like this with people from all over the all over the world all different cultures just when you're traveling and you see some different cultures you start to understand how different backgrounds we have and then different ages and professions and 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 and, and just experiences we are so different that it takes a miracle to keep unity. And we believe in miracles. And we believe that there is a love that the Holy Spirit is pouring out upon His church. When He's building His church up. But we need to live with His Jesus process to keep the peace. Luke 17 and 6. He replied, if you have faith small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. I have this picture of, of, of a mustard seed. It's, it's a very small seed. And, and, and in one way, this seed, you cannot really, you know, a, a seed is useful once planted. If you plant it, it can become a big tree. And, and it says, if you have faith as, much, ma, as big as a mustard seed, you can do great things, right? But the secret is not the size of your faith. It is that it is active. It is that it is planted. So if you activate your faith, if you want to be able to forgive, you need to take a first step. You need to start to pray for that person. You need to, you know, you need to approach that person. Maybe you need to bring in someone else. Jesus says that, that, that if, if you've been having a conversation and you cannot have peace, bring in another person then that can help mediate. So you need to start to have an active faith. And Jesus will give you the grace and the help to be able to forgive. Why? Because as a believer, forgiveness is not optional forgiveness is our duty is what we do believers are forgiving now Jesus tells them a parable because they don't really get it he says that suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep while he uh, he says to the servant he, uh, while he say to the servant when he comes in from the field come along now and sit down to eat wouldn't they rather say Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after you, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to, told to do? So, and, and he doesn't answer it. It means no, he will not thank him. So you also, when you have done everything you're told to do. What have Jesus been telling them to do? To forgive. Seven times a day, forgive. When you have told, done what you're told to do, should you say, uh, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. 
What is your duty? Forgiveness is your duty. Forgiveness is a believer's duty. That is what Christ has been given us. Christ has forgiven us so that we can forgive other people. It's not optional. It's our duty. Amen? Matthew 6 and 14. And some of you thought I was coming home with just a lot of miracle stories and encouragement, but you are wrong. I'm, I'm coming down with something that sort of you need to search your heart, and me too. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something, uh, something special today. That's why we will end this service with the Lord's communion, when we are checking ourselves, when we're praying for one another, when we make sure we have nothing against someone, but we're clearing things out. And, and, and I have... I, I think that since we came here, we haven't had pray nights like we used to when we have the communion. And I think it's affecting the church. We need to have the communion on a regular basis because we're checking ourselves. And we're clearing things out with one another. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something beautiful in this place today. Jesus says this, For if you forgive other people when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, others their sins your father will not forgive your sins serious text huh if you do not forgive you will not be forgiven by your father in heaven that tells me that forgiveness is not optional forgiveness is not for some super saints or extra good christians or people that have never been hurt forgiveness is and you know is mandatory it's our duty as believers and we can go through hard things I don't want to rallyate with it I know that sometimes we can really be hurt some people I meet some people in church been through hard things but I know that Jesus can give us the grace to forgive one another as we have been forgiven uh, so what is the process? Number one, you check yourself. Number two, you speak with a person that have hurt you. And if that is too hard, bring someone along that can help you having that conversation. Number three, you forgive. You forgive. And what I have realized sometimes is that sometimes you're really speaking things through and you really have different views of it. Sometimes you might not see things the same way, but you can still choose love and forgiveness. When, when me and my wife were celebrating 10 years anniversary here earlier as, as, as married, we, she, she brought up something that happened on our honeymoon, a conflict we had on the honeymoon. She brought it up and said, do you remember what you said and what you thought? And we started to speak about it. And I still think the same. I still think that she was wrong and I was right. And she thinks that she was, you know, we started to fight over this 10 years later because we still disagree about what happened. And I still think, you know, like, and after a while we just need to say, okay, let's just agree that we disagree about this situation. Let's just forget about it. Because we still look, view these things differently. And that will be the case among us. Sometimes we just view things differently because we are different. And sometimes we just need to agree that we disagree, but we still love one another. We are still forgiving one another. Are you with me? Even though I'm right and you're wrong, I still forgive you. Isn't that awesome? Um, a few years back, we had a festival in, and, and I'm just finishing up with this story, and then we'll have the communion after a while. But uh, we had a festival in, in Rwanda. And I, I know Walter was in Rwanda, and, and what were you? Yeah? 
Yes, he was in Rwanda. And some other people were in Rwanda. And, and I heard so many stories when they came, came back. How, how they had met with so many people that have, have been around for the genocide that took place. I think we even have the flag of Rwanda here. Uh, the genocide that took place in 94. And I don't want to go into all the details. But during a time uh, around 100 days, it was this mass massacre that took place in this nation where, where around one million people lost their life in a pretty small nation and, and it was the Tutsi and the Hutu that were they were killing one another they have been living side by side so long and I think that the, the Tutsi have been fa favorized by the Dutch people that were there before and they were now in charge of the army and a lot of high positions and they kind of misused their authority in some some way and the Hutu that was a big, much bigger crowd they were now taking revenge uh, on on them if, if someone if I have the wrong information you just don't shoot me or be angry at me I just I just have have something I want to point out here uh, they, they were killing one another friends family members they were living in the same village your neighbors and now one neighbor was raping another neighbor and then killing killing the wife there and and it was just this this terrible terrible massacre going on and the the world was shocked because the crew crew it was so cruel and and after that paul was his name paul uh Kagame became the president and he had been part of it he'd been one of the the leaders in this and and I said that we have two options now because one option is that we almost need to put the whole nation in jail because almost the whole nation have been part of it or we need to practice the Christian message of forgiveness and for a time now people could could have a time when they could forgive one another and if, if they went to the neighbor, if they went to the different families and confessed their sins and asked for forgiveness, they were not put in jail. They were saved. After that time, they were, people were taken to court and they were, you know, they were put in jail for the crime. But, but now a neighbor went to the neighbor and, and said, I, I'm so sorry, I killed your sister. I raped your wife. I've been burying them over here. And, and another, you know, like they start to go to one another. And, 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 and a miracle starts to take place because forgiveness is a miracle. Forgiveness means that I don't take my right, but I give grace. I forgive. I choose to forgive. And, and that nation could, you know, could have been just falling apart and it could just continue. But God started to heal families. And when you read stories now, People have been killing each other's, you know, family members. They are, they are neighbors and they are close friends. They're watching out for each other's grandkids and so on because it's a generation down. God started to do a miracle out of forgiveness. And I think that forgiveness, there's, there's no, nothing more powerful than forgiveness. If we forgive one another, if we love one another, God can keep a unity and God can do something beautiful. And God can reveal himself among us because we are forgiving one another. You know, Christ, He forgave you. We have all been sinning. Every single one of us, we have been sinning. We have done wrong. We've been walking away from God. We have done what is, what is not right. Uh, every single one of us. And we don't deserve forgiveness. We deserve condemnation. We deserve judgment. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve an eternal punishment. That is what we deserve. 
But what we can do is that we can come in front of God and say, God, forgive me my sins. I regret what I have done. I wish I wouldn't have done those things. I wish I wouldn't have said those things. Jesus, forgive me my sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is righteous and He's forgiving us our sins. And maybe you're here and you came with a friend and you have never ever given your life to Jesus and, 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 and you don't really know how you get in contact with God. You come in contact with God through forgiveness and you will receive grace. If you're coming to Him and say, Jesus, I want to turn from my old life. I want to get to know you. Then He's washing you pure from every single sin you have ever done. Everything you regret. Everything you're ashamed of. Everything you, you want no one to ever know about. Everything. All of those memories that you try to erase from, erase from your mind. That you don't want to think about any longer. Because it's painful and you're so ashamed of it. He's erasing every single sin. And He's giving you grace. And He's clothing you in white clothes. And He says you are now right in front of God. Amen.